All right, so go ahead and grab your Bibles. Apparently, it's just one of those morning string breaks, computers frozen. Oh, it's trying. Okay. Um, so, yeah, but go ahead and grab your Bibles, open up to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, um, as we continue our series, Basic Christianity, um, working through uh, the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And just ignore that, because who knows what it's going to do. It's just, yeah, one of those days, right? So... Um, one of our um, hopes from the outset of planting New City Church was always to be a church that um, developed strong roots. It was to be a church that stood firmly on the Bible and never would shy away from teaching deep truths. Um, coming in, planting as a young adult, um, I just realized the void there um, in, in our area to to develop that uh, and to push that. Um, and, and the reason we wanted to strive for that is because we truly do believe that theology leads us to doxology. So the more we learn about God and the more that God shapes us and our understanding and the more we develop strong roots um, that, that grow deep into his word, then the more we will be able to worship God. Um, because it's, it's one thing to have a thought about God. It's another thing to know Him. And, and the Word tells us who He is. It shows us um, more of His nature and His character. It begins to just um, open up a whole new realm of understanding of who God is. And while we might not understand all of it, and we know we will not understand all of it, the more we can grasp through the reading and the study of God's Word, the more we will be led in to worship. And so it's been um, our desire to develop um, a culture of disciples who um, not just wanted to come to church, but who cherished their Bibles. And because of that, who were then equipped to um, understand or, or have a love for a solid theological foundation. Because having that foundation really um, is a springboard to all of life. The more we understand, again, of the nature and the character of God, the more we also understand about who we are. And as we begin to put all of those things together, we begin to realize what our purpose is and, and how we are here and why we are here. And that it's all because of the work of God. And by God's grace, that remains true even today. And a few of us have had some conversations recently and and, you know, we're, we're still not quite eight years old yet. And to see how, as we mature even more and more, to see the fruit of that conviction really begin to, to shine forth is going to be a beautiful thing. But the thing about sound theology, and, and so, you know, we, we do live in a culture that wants to downplay it, right? We, want, we live in a culture that wants to downplay deep thinking, um, or at least deep biblical thinking. We live in a culture that wants to um, deny the beauties of Scripture, that wants to deny the, um, the truths of Scripture. But, but the thing is, is that sound theology not only leads us to worship, right? So theology to doxology, but it also acts as a shield for us to, to guard ourselves against false teaching. So as we understand what the Bible teaches, then when we hear something that is contradicting the Bible, then we can understand that. Then we can see that for what it is, and, and we're not duped by it. Um, and, and today, what we see in, in this letter of John is John is, again, writing to this church 
um, warning them against false teaching, and, he, and he's preparing them and reminding them of the message that they had heard from the very beginning, that Jesus is God, and he's God who has come, and he's God who has come to redeem. And so the main idea um, in our text today is this, remain steadfast in God's word as he leads by his spirit so that you will not be deceived. And if you will, let's stand together. I'm going to read our text, which is 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. And then I will pray for our time in the word. And we will work through this text together. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, it is no lie. Just as, you, as it has taught you, abide in in him. Let's pray. Our Father, we do ask that you would uh, be with us this morning. Uh, we do gather together under the hope and the promise that you are here um, for your saints, those who have trusted in you. We know that your Holy Spirit is living within us, and so we ask that your Spirit would speak to us. God, you know our hearts better than we know them ourselves. You know our needs, you know our hopes, you know our dreams, you know our failures. And so, God, we ask that through the sufficiency of your word, you would speak to us and that you would show us the truths of who you are and who we are called to be. So we ask that your church this morning would hear your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that I would be muted and it would be your message that is taught to every one of us. So we do ask that you would meet us through the power of your word, through the working of your spirit, that we would glorify the Father and Son and stand firm on the word that has been given to us, the word of truth. We ask that you would make much of yourself in this time and find glory in our gathering. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So as we begin to, to look at this idea of do not be deceived, um, there are several things in this text that when you first read it are like, mm, I think I'll just skip on to the next part because you don't want to really deal with them. Um, some words that um, get 
spoken and abused in our culture. But, and so what we're going to do is we're going to really work through this text in a way that hope, hopefully shows us the importance of remaining steadfast in God's word as we're led by his spirit. And so the very first point that we get to is a warning against false teaching, right? So right off the bat, he says, children. Now, again, this is a term that John has used several times up to this point, and he will continue to use. It's this term of endearment. It's a fatherly affection. He's um, a pastor who cares deeply for his church. He's warning them again of this false teaching that has come from this group that has exited the church, but they're still trying to pull the true church away um, with this teaching that Jesus is not truly the Christ. And so he writes to them as a father would to his child or, or a pastor to the church. And he says, children, it is the last hour. Now, that last hour is um, a reference to the time from Christ's original coming to his second coming. So he comes, and now it is this age that the church is living to where Christ has come, and now we're looking for his return. And so he's saying, it is now the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And for a lot of us, we were probably lost at the term Antichrist because we have heard those terms, again, thrown around loosely, and it makes us want to just skip on to the next section um, because you're probably afraid I'm going to bust out a big chart and start... Um, going crazy on the stage, but that's not it at all. So I want us to understand why that term is used and what it means. He is not referring to the Antichrist that we so often hear of at the end of time, but rather he's referring to uh, more of a spirit of the Antichrist. So it's one who denies Jesus. It's one who stands against Jesus. So he's referring to these false teachers as antichrist because they are denying the fact that Jesus is God. And he's saying that they harbor a spirit of being against Christ. So it's more of the spirit of antichrist, not the one individual who uh, the book of Revelation refers to, um, who Daniel refers to um, even in his writings. But it's more of the spirit of antichrist, so one who would stand against and so he says, therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So you have this group of people who have left the church because they have embraced this teaching that denies that Jesus is God. They deny that Jesus is the Son of God, and, and really the teaching is somewhat of this, that Jesus was a real man, and as he was here, he just kind of had the spirit of the Christ on him. He wasn't actually God in the flesh. He was just a man who kind of had an extra little something. And that as he died, then that spirit kind of moved on, but it was just a physical man. So he wasn't actually the Son of God. He was just... Um, full of God, I guess, is kind of an easy way to put it. And he's saying that now that this teaching is, has come about, there's a, a group of people that have left the church, and, and that's the teaching they're holding to, and now they're trying to infiltrate the true church and pull them away. 
But he's saying they left us because they were not truly of us, right? And now this is a very important thing because, again, we live in a time where we have misunderstood what the church actually is. The church is not the building. The church is the people. It's the people who have confessed that Jesus is both God and Christ, that he is the only hope for salvation. This is why church membership is such a vitally important thing. Because if done correctly, if understood correctly, then we understand that church membership can only be for those who have truly trusted in Christ. Which is why we don't just have this opportunity for you to just walk down at the end of the thing, sign a little card, and, and we say, yeah, come on in. You know, We have to, to carefully analyze, are we truly people who confess that Jesus is the Christ. So again, they left because they were not truly of us. They were not part of the true church. Why? Again, because they denied that Jesus was the Christ. See, the true church are those individuals who have confessed their sin and trusted Jesus as their Savior. But another thing we notice here in this text is in referring to the true church, to referring to true Christians, is that Christians persevere, right? Again, they went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have all continued with us. But they went out that might become plain that they are not all of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And I write to you, not because you know the truth, but because you know it, and uh, because no lie is of the truth. But we see this idea of perseverance here, right? In Mark chapter 13, in his gospel, it reads this, Then you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the ones who endure to the end will be saved. So what is the mark of the true church? What is the mark of a true Christian? Perseverance. Uh, we have a lot of people who will go through the motions of um, you know, becoming a part of a church or saying a prayer or doing the right things, but at some point they just kind of fade out and they're no longer living in a way that would honor God. They're no longer living as a part, an active part of Christ's church. Well, that's a mark of perseverance. So how do we know that one has truly confessed Christ? It is by the end of their life we see that they have lived a life and run the race that had been given to them and they had done so faithfully. Alistair Begg says this, he says, There are some who share for a while our earthly company who do not share our heavenly birth. So they play the part well and they, they act the part well and they become part of the church, but over time they will begin to separate themselves because they do not share in our belief that Jesus is God. And they have truly not confessed him as Christ. And another word that is mentioned in these short verses that typically um, throws us off is in verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. That, again, another term that gets loosely tossed about in the church today because it's completely misunderstood. And it's a term that gets thrown out as, you know, you're going to get your anointing or you've got to do this to get your anointing. You want to hard to get your anointing. And, and if you have the anointing... With all of this misunderstanding of what anointing actually means. So what is it? What does it mean that you will be anointed by the Holy One? Or you have been anointed by the Holy One? 
what we see is actually a reference to the moment that we trust Christ, when we confess that Jesus is the Christ, when we confess our sins to him and we trust Jesus as Savior, God promises that his Holy Spirit will be given to us. And at that moment, we have received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit to all Christians. It's not some event that happens in addition to being saved. It's part of being saved. When we trust Christ, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit to come and live within us, to help us, to guide us. In the mid-1500s, a group of Christians put together what was called the Heidelberg Catechism, and it's kind of a collection of um, things from the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, um, and and other part, the Ten Commandments, and and some other scripture. And it's a section of, or a group of question and answers to help us develop our faith to understand what the scripture is teaching in the Heidelberg Catechism number 32 it asks the question of this why are you called a Christian and here's the answer because by faith I am a member of Christ and so I share in his anointing that is the gift of the Holy Spirit I am anointed to confess his name To present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks. And to strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. And afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity. So what John is saying to these people is that we have been gifted the Holy Spirit as believers to help us and aid us in discernment. To discern what is true and what is not. To discern what is an actual teaching of scripture about Christ and what is not. And if you're here today and you have trusted in Christ, you have that same gift within you to help you understand what is true and what is right. But in order to do that, you must hold fast to truth. You must maintain discernment while standing on God's word. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. We have to read the Word of God. We have to absorb the Word of God. We have to study the Word of God and let it take deep root within us. Otherwise, we'll be posting memes of Bible verses that are actually not accurate or we'll be posting memes of Bible verses that aren't actually Bible verses or we'll be proclaiming Bible truths that are not even in Scripture. And so we must hold fast to God's word. We must remain steadfast in God's word. Simon Kistemacher in his commentary on 1 John says this. He says, the believer anointed with the Holy Spirit is able to discern truth from error, oppose heresy, and withstand the attacks of Satan. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. We must hold fast to the word of God. We must be held captive by the word of God so that we can honor the word of God. This was the premise of the Protestant Reformation. I mean, a lot of terms get dubbed as the, the foundation of the Reformation, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it was sola scriptura, by scripture alone. It's not... Um, the voice of the church that tells us what is true and what is right. It's the word of God itself because it is God's word. And again, to deny scripture is to deny the validity of God himself. 
So we must hold fast to God's word in order to not be deceived by false teaching. Secondly, we move into the danger of false teaching. So we've been warned and now we're going to see what the dangers of giving way to false teachings are. Verse 22 and 23. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So who is the liar? The liar is the one who is denying that Jesus is the Christ. So the heart of the false teaching that John is addressing has finally been revealed. It's the denial of Jesus Christ as God's son. That is that Jesus is God in the flesh, God incarnate. And you might say, well, why is this such a big deal? Because this is the hinge of everything. Everything hinges on the belief that Jesus is God. If we don't believe that Jesus is God, one, we have made God a liar, as John has already told us. If we don't believe that Jesus is God, then Jesus can't actually save us from our sins because he's no more than simply a mere human being who, again, as C.S. Lewis said, was either a liar, a lunatic, or a legend. Or he's Lord. He must be Lord. If he's not Lord, then he's nuts. And as Paul says, then if that be the case, then we are of all people most to be pitied. We're foolish. But we have been given the prophetic word made more sure in the scripture. And it is to be a lamp that shines into a dark place. It is the word of God given to us so that we can stand on, the, on God's word to understand who he is, to understand what he is doing, that all things point to him as a redeemer of his people. So everything hinges on a right belief in Jesus. If we miss that, then we're gone. We have a lot of um, groups that call themselves churches that fall off the bandwagon because of this they miss their teaching on Jesus they might declare that God is God and they might have some off view of Jesus and call themselves the church but that's not the case if we don't have a right belief and a right view of Jesus then we're not the church because to deny the son is to deny the father you can't have one without the other He is very God of very God. And the reward or consequence of denying Jesus is not heaven, but hell. Eternal separation from the graciousness and the love of God. To deny that Jesus is the Christ Leaves no room for redemption. We must confess that he is Lord. And believe in our heart that God truly raised him from the dead. And he will be faithful to save. It's a church in a culture that is filled with misrepresentations of Jesus. Christians must be grounded in the truths of scripture. So that we are not misled by false teaching. Because it's everywhere. There are so many who even claim to be Christians who are not teaching 
the truths of Scripture. And the truths of Scripture are hard. They're hard to grasp. They're hard to understand. But what we have to remember is that the Scripture is the Word of God. And God is good. And God is majestic. And God is sovereign. And He's all-knowing. So we must trust His leading. We must trust His plan. And we must trust the promise that even in the bad times that he is working all things together for good. So what is the danger of false teaching? Falling away from Christ. Falling away from the truth and spending eternity separated from the goodness and the holiness of God. Because even in his goodness, he is also just. Now we can spend our entire lives playing a game and resting in the goodness and the love of God. God can't cast anyone away. According to Scripture, He has every right to. And He will. He says, there are many who are on the last day going to come to me and say, but didn't I do this in your name? And He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because it's one thing to play the game. It's another thing to truly confess and believe. And so we must understand what the scripture says about God and about us. And we must hold fast to who he is. And lastly, we have to not only hear the warning of false teaching or the dangers of false teaching, but we have to be equipped for discernment. Look at verse 24. Says, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. In other words, hold fast to the teachings of Orthodox Scripture. If you're reading the Word and studying the Word and coming up with something that's new, you should be wary of that. Anyone that says they have a new revelation or a new teaching, be wary of that. Remain in the Word. Read and study. In other words, rest in the sufficiency of Scripture and and allow the Bible to be a guide for all of life. Psalm 119.11, I have stored your Word in in my heart that I might not sin against you. You want to avoid sinning against God? And I love this, right? Because it's not just so that I might not sin, but that I might not sin against God. What is, the, what is the help to keep us from doing that? Storing His Word in our heart. Ho-hum Christianity is not getting you anywhere. If you truly have rested in the saving grace of Christ, then there should be a desire to absorb His Word and to devour His Word so that you can know Him more. Do we believe that Scripture is enough? Do we believe that God is enough? It's part of why Psalm 46 is so beautiful. Everything is crashing. Everything is falling apart. And it doesn't say, do this, do this, do this. It just simply says, be still and know that I am God. He is in control and there's nothing that's going to happen that's going to take that away. There's nothing that can dethrone him. There's nothing that's going to infringe on his glory. He is holy, holy, holy. Holy, and he will be 
before all time. So we must know the word and devour the word. So that we might not sin against him. What's the result? Verse 25. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. Steadfastness in the word. Perseverance as the Christian to the very end. The reward, God himself. Again, if your hope for heaven is all of the stuff you're going to get or the people that you're going to be reunited with, then you're missing the point. I heard it said a long time ago that basically in a question, if we get to heaven and we have all of the things that we've longed for forever, that we've heard about heaven, that we've hoped for about heaven, we see all of our loved ones and when we see the if, if all of those things are the goal of getting to heaven and we get there and all of those things are true but Jesus is not there is it good enough and on the flip side if we show up and it's like a big garbage dump but Jesus is there is that enough what is the point what is the purpose what is our driving point eternity with Christ God is enough Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Again, we must be on guard because Satan will use any and every tactic possible to deceive us. And so consistent fellowship with Jesus through his word and accountability from other Christians helps us discern against false teaching. So for the one who says that they can have church in the fishing boat or the one who says that they can have church, they don't need to go to church. They can just have their time and their worship of God and the deer stand or, or they could do it at work or they could do it on the road. That doesn't work. We desperately need each other to hold each other accountable and to, to as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. We desperately need Christ and a firm belief and to be rooted in his word and we have to have one another. And being willing to call each other out when we fall short. And being willing to rub against each other when we know that we're starting to walk down the wrong path. That's true love. And he goes on, verse 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about every thing it is true and it is no lie just as it is taught you abide in him as you study the scripture we must trust the holy spirit's leading and as we're doing that then we also have to understand that he will never lead us down the wrong path with that he will not lead us to some new teaching that strays against his word. So again, you want to know what is the, the, the litmus test of true and false teaching. If someone is teaching someone that something that the Holy Spirit gave them, but it contradicts the Bible, the Holy Spirit didn't give them that. A spirit might have gave them that, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Okay? Again, Satan will use any and every tactic to deceive. So we must stand firm in the word of God. 
Now, what he's not saying is that we don't need teachers. What he's saying is that we must lean into the Holy Spirit and trust the Holy Spirit that as we read through the Word of God, He will hold us fast. We must abide in Him. And so, to be equipped from discernment, he outlines two primary things here in verses 24 through 27. The first, again, back up to verse 24. We should let his word abide in us, which means you have to open it. You have to read it. Can't get through without a Spurgeon quote, right? Spurgeon says a, a, a dusty Bible or something like, what is it? How's it go? Come on. Where's it at? A Bible that's fallen apart usually points to someone whose life is not. There it was. Right? Understanding that we need to read the Word of God. Not as a duty, but delight. Not to be bound by the Word, but to rest in the Word. And to let the Word lead us and guide us. As we trust Him. And we walk in faithfulness to Him. So we should let His Word abide in us. And secondly, we should trust the Holy Spirit's abiding in us. God has given us His Spirit. If we have trusted in him. We're not trying to earn the Holy Spirit. right? We're not trying to gain the Holy Spirit. If we have confessed that Jesus is the Christ. Then the Holy Spirit lives within us. And it's the same spirit that lived within him. That God in him. It's the same spirit that lived within Paul. It's the same spirit that lived within Peter. That when he spoke. Thousands come to know Christ. That's what it means. To rest in the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, is that every day you will face thoughts and ideas that contradict Scripture. And many of them will be masked as Christian. They will be masked as Bible teachers. Do not be deceived. So Christian, if you truly desire to follow Christian, Christ in, in a way that would honor him and, and bring glory to him, then you must abide in his word and you must rest in the promise that has been revealed here that the Holy Spirit lives within you. So do not be deceived. Hide his word in your heart. Store his word in your heart so that you might not sin against him. Trust in the goodness of God's word. Rest in the inspiration and the inerrancy of God's word. Now maybe you're here and, and you've never actually confessed Jesus as Savior. You've never confessed your sin to him and asked him to save you. I encourage you to do so promise of God's word is that he will if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness eternity is at stake your eternity is at stake and I also just want to encourage you to continue to press on if you have trusted in Jesus through 
the hills and the valleys, he remains the same. David wrote in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he's with us. He's there in the good and he's there in the bad. We find hope from that in the word of God. So trust Jesus and rest in Jesus and devour his word so that you might not be deceived. Let's pray together. Our Father, it is truly a gift from you that your word remains steadfast. And so we ask that we as your people would remain steadfast in your word. You are good and your mercy endures forever. And what a hope it is for your people to know that you never change. That you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you are working all things together for good. And so we must rest in you and hope in you. And God, I pray that you would continue to just guard us all for the many thoughts and ways that we come in contact with daily that try to pull us away from the truth of your word. But hope remains because you remain. May we turn our trust to you and hope in Jesus, our Savior. It's in his name we pray.